Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Hope has been restored. I've been reading a book about hope lately by an author, Mark Mason, and I was surprised to uh, to read one of his lines. He said, "The opposite of hope, or the ho- opposite of happiness, isn't sadness. It's not this happy-sad dichotomy." He said, "The opposite of of uh, happiness is actually hopelessness. This endless gray." horizon of resignation and indifference, and it's the belief that everything's already messed up, so what's the point? And Mark Mason, he he writes in his book that if we don't believe there's any hope that the future will be better than the present, that our lives will improve in some way, then we spiritually die. Now, what's shocking with this is that he's a secular author. He's an atheist. He grew up in a Christian home down in Texas, but he doesn't believe in the gospel. But he still believes that our hope has to be rooted in our vision for the future or else we spiritually die. And I agree that hope must be found in our vision of the future, but our Christian hope isn't the same as, it's not the same way we use hope today. Like, we kind of use, like, hope in kind of a wishful thinking sense. We kind of say, oh, I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I hope I'm going to get this for Christmas. I hope I win the lottery. But really, Christian hope is grounded in the past. It's grounded in the fulfilled promises of the past. Time and time again, these promises and prophecies have been fulfilled. So Christian hope is actually grounded in the fact that God came to be with us once, that God is still with us, and God is coming again to set all things right. So I find it absolutely fascinating to be reading this secular book where he's talking about everything's messed up, but we need a hope, and I'm like, but man, when, when you couple that with the gospel, you're like, where's the disconnect? Because the message he's preaching is the message that Jesus came sharing and proclaiming to set us free. And that's why our vision as a church really is to make Jesus known. Because it's by making him know that we're, it's by making him known that we're going to see lives change. It's by making him known that we're going to see our community transformed. I've actually read some other articles by atheists recently, too, that they're actually looking at kind of this post-Christendom movement as actually having a negative effect on our world. And what I mean by this is cultures moving more and more away from their Christian roots, from belief in God. And, and the atheist culture group... Uh, authors, they're recognizing that because of this shift in culture overall, it's actually having a negative negative effect on our world because it's through Christian organizations that schools have been developed, that hospitals have been built, that, that homeless have been helped out. And as we move away as a society and a culture from these foundational truths, we're actually seeing a deterioration in our world. So I find that absolutely fascinating. But if we have such a hope, then we have to ask, what's holding us back? If, if we have this hope and, and we're, we're rooted in this hope and we're looking at all these fulfilled promises, what, what's holding us back? 
Well, Rob Bremer, he's the, the guy who we went to see recently as a leadership team uh, for this, this uh, conference called Soul Care. He, he writes a book entitled the same thing, Soul Care. And he says this, your next level with God lies beyond the boundaries of your current experience. The only way to get there is to risk more than you're comfortable with. We hold ourselves back because of fear. Because that line, risk more than you're comfortable with, scares the bejeebers out of me. Like, I'm kind of comfortable. I like being comfortable. But in order to reach this next level where God's wanting to break through and God's wanting to, to use me to, to share hope and to live into this new reality means I have to risk things and it's going to be uncomfortable? I don't know about that. I'm afraid. We're afraid. There's unknowns. There's questions. We play the what-if game and it goes on and on in our head. And... But this is where hope is restored because it's in the midst of the darkness that God breaks in. It's in the midst of whatever you're facing that God is with you. It's in the midst of the darkness that the light of hope emerges. And man, both hope and fear are great motivators. And they both have the capacity to create growth in us. But hope creates space in the mind and the heart. It opens up opportunities, whereas fear restricts it. Fear seems more safe and more comfortable, but it actually restricts us, and it holds us back. So hope isn't the absence of fear, but it gives us the confidence to do what is right in the face of fear. And how does it do that? Well, hope is one of the defining marks of a believer, of a follower of Jesus. Because our hope isn't in this wishful thinking, but it's grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. It's grounded in the fulfilled promises. Our Old Testament is, is filled with prophecies that Jesus fulfilled even the moment he was born. And this is stuff he can't control. It's not like he was able to, before he was born, look through things as a normal person and just say, I'm going to be born in this town and, and this. Like, Jesus fulfills throughout his prophecy, throughout his birth, life, death, and resurrection. So despite the suffering that comes from living in the fallen world, we're certain as followers of Jesus that God will one day complete what he started in the lives of believers and in the whole cosmos. And how can we be so sure? Well, it's the fact that God came to be with us once, that God's still with us, and God's coming back again to set all things right. Barbara Brown Taylor, she writes a book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she says this, new life starts in the dark, whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb. It starts in the dark. When I read that, it just blew my mind. I'm like, whoa, that's profound. That's incredible. This takes us back even to the very beginning when, when there was just this void and God speaks and creates life in the midst of the darkness. Life bursts forth 
began and continued to grow and develop and evolve. And I mentioned our Old Testament, which is the first 37 books of our Bible, and the New Testament's the remaining 27, so it's not quite half. But you have in the Old Testament all these prophecies of God at work and God preparing the ground. And then you have the New Testament, which is starting with the birth of John the Baptist, who's announcing the birth of Jesus. But what we often forget is in between these two testaments is actually a period called the intertestamental period. And is also known as 400 silent years. And the reason it's considered 400 silent years is because there's about 400 years where it's believed that God revealed nothing new to his people. So you had all this stuff happening in the Old Testament. It's being recorded. Then you have 400 years. That's not even four generations. I actually had to Google what's considered a generation. 28 years is considered a generation. So we're talking about 14 generations where God has revealed nothing new. It just seems blank. It seems kind of empty and void. And you're thinking, okay, we have all these promises. We have these things that haven't been fulfilled yet. And you have this group of people who are following God, but just waiting. Advent. It's this season of waiting and preparation. But I don't know about you, 400 years is a long time to wait. Like, I have to wait for my Christmas gifts for one more week, but they're in my closet right now, and it's killing me. 400 years. So that actually, I believe, adds surprise to these Christmas stories. Because sometimes we just read the Christmas story and we're like, oh yeah, and then an angel just showed up to Mary and this is what happened. Well, Mary's in the midst of this period of silence where she actually doesn't quite know when God's going to show up. She, she's not sure what it's going to look like. I, I, I'm sure she wasn't expecting it to be her as we're going to look at. They've kind of just been living on cruise control. They've been maintaining the status quo. Welcome to Advent. And this is when God breaks into the ordinary. He breaks into kind of this darkness and this stillness and births light. So I thought tonight, as we ground ourselves in hope, I wanted to go through all the verses in the Christmas story that remind us to not be afraid. Because I think there's this fine balance between fear and hope. And I think sometimes we can get encouraged and spurred on and we're like, yes, but then as soon as it means we have to risk something and we're not going to be comfortable, we kind of resort back to fear. So, if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip with me. Otherwise, I do have the verse on the screen. But the first story is Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And Zechariah is a priest. His wife Elizabeth is cousins with Mary, who we're going to get to in a few minutes. But Zechariah goes into the sanctuary, and he's been selected to go in into the presence of God. And, and he goes in, and there an angel meets him. 
and the angel appears to him. So Zechariah, he's shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, first of all, there's a lot of things for this guy to be scared about. It's believed that they're at least 60 years old. So imagine being told that you're about to have a kid when you're 60. I'm 37, and I'm tired. Like... This guy, I'm sure, is thinking, what? Now, his wife has been barren. They haven't had kids. So they're, they're honored that they, they have this, this surprise. But he's absolutely terrified. But we often read these biblical stories, and we just think that, okay, like, he saw the angel. This is what the angel said. And he just kind of went on and uh, didn't really push back at all. But that's not what the narrative says. The story actually goes on to say that he didn't believe the angel. That he's kind of like, what? So the angel makes him silent until the baby's born. He says, this is who's, you're having a son. You're naming him John. He's going to usher in Jesus. And he's like, you're not going to be able to speak about it until the day he's born. So he comes out and everyone else is kind of startled. And they're like, he must have seen God because he was silent. God was on the move. So after 400 years of this silent period, God now breaks in and people start recognizing something's up. They've been waiting for it, they've been hoping for it, but now he's on the move and new life is beginning. So then, if we go over another chapter, over to Luke chapter 2, or actually, nope, just later in Luke chapter 1. <laughs> you have the story of, of the angel encountering Mary. So her cousin Elizabeth is expecting. Six months into her pregnancy, the angel appears to Mary. And the angel appears and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord's with you. So confused and disturbed and terrified, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. But again, the angel just says, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. God is on the move. I'm sure she's heard that her, her cousin's expecting, and she's thinking, okay, you had this, this encounter with an angel. God's breaking into our lives now. And then she has this encounter. And suddenly she's gripped with this fear. But the angel reminds her and says, don't be afraid. And you see, prophecy is being fulfilled. And Elizabeth and Mary, they've been chosen by God to birth this new life, this new light of hope. And you know how the story goes that Mary wasn't even married. She was engaged, but a virgin. And so being pregnant isn't going to look too great in the town she's from. She's not going to be very popular. Rumors are going to start swirling. So the angel decides to make a surprise visit to Joseph, too, her fiancé. So that's over in Matthew. And we have the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. And Joseph's getting ready to kind of just slip out quietly, kind of not make too big of a fuss, because he definitely knows, well, that's not my baby in there. So he's like, I'm going to do the honorable thing, 
But then suddenly he's encountered by an angel of the Lord who says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Man, Joseph's eyes were suddenly opened to the new beginning. He too realized that God was on the move, that hope was being restored, that the 400 silent years were now over, and God was actually working in and through them to bring it to fulfillment, which brings us to the night when Jesus was born. And that's back in Luke chapter 2. And the shepherds, they're out watching their flock when suddenly the angels appear to them. It says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And he goes on to tell them to, to go off and, and look for this sign. And they do, and they leave rejoicing. But what amazes me is story after story is filled with fear. They encounter God, and they're gripped with this <gasps> panic because suddenly they've been maintaining the status quo. Things are good. They don't want to rock the boat, but now God's choosing to work in and through them. It's going to mean that they have to risk something. Joseph has to risk his reputation. Mary risks her reputation. They're, they're walking into this new lived experience and reality that God's leading them into to fulfill his word, but that is beyond anything they've experienced already. And I think our natural human inclination is to seize up with fear. When, we, when God's not working exactly how we see or this or that, we panic. But when we realize the hope, it opens up space within our hearts, within our minds to see that God is on the move and he's inviting us to participate with what he's doing. And the message time and time again all throughout this Christmas story is that God is on the move. New life is beginning in the midst of darkness. Hope is being restored. And we're told, do not be afraid. And I needed that reminder this week because there are things that are absolutely fearful. There are things that you just wonder, what if this happens? What if the, the church doesn't reach our community? What if, it, what if things happen to my kids? Like, I don't know about you, but I used to be able to read the news and then turn it off and go to bed, and I would sleep sound. Now, if I read something that involves kids, like pfft, my mind's just going nuts, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what they're going through, and I, I don't even want to imagine that happening with my kids. And fear grips me. But time and time again, as I've leaned in, to the light of hope and to Jesus, I'm reminded, do not be afraid. That we don't need to be afraid of the darkness. You see, we can't actually control the darkness. 
The darkness, it exists. So in this room, for example, I can't add more darkness. I can control the light that's in here, but the darkness, it just is. If I remove the light, it will become dark, but we're told in the gospel that, that the light has come, that Jesus has come, and the darkness can't overcome it. So it's about leaning in to the light of hope, into the light who is Jesus and who offers us abundant life. And I believe that this is why the Bible and especially these Christmas stories have such enduring power, that these stories insist in a thousand different ways that we don't have to settle, that we don't have to fear, that tomorrow doesn't have to be a repeat of today. We don't have to be enslaved to fear or despair. We can change, we can move, we can heal, and we can leave behind whatever needs to be left behind so that we can step into a better future. But it's a future that requires us to go beyond the boundaries of our current experiences. It's a future that requires us to risk more than we're comfortable with. But it's about surrender. It's about committing ourselves to God's loving care, which will always mean that you surrender your worry, your anxiety, your drama, your stress. And that's how it begins. This is where the light of hope emerges within the darkness. Whatever it is you're going through, you entrust yourself to God, you turn it over, and you surrender it. So much of our battle with fear comes down to this question, will you trust God? When fear grips me, that's what I realize. I'm not leaning into God right now. But when I center myself on God and I come back to the question, will you trust God? I have to say time and time again, yes. You have to choose to believe that God's with us, he's for us, and he's trustworthy. It's a choice. But let me remind you, don't be afraid. I recently heard it said that all of life is Advent. It's a season of waiting, preparing, and longing until Christ comes again. So let me ask you this question. As we face the darkness, can you trust the light of Christ to fight the darkness and restore hope on your behalf? It's not about trying to push away the darkness. It's about learning to, to sit and wait within the darkness, leaning into the light of Christ. So I'm going to try something tonight. Can I have everyone just turn off their Christmas trees on the table? Because I've been saying for the last few weeks that I would love to actually turn off all the lights in this place. So I'm hoping that I've rigged it up accordingly, that I can actually do so. There's something about the darkness that just feels uncomfortable. But while we sit and wait and hope within the darkness, I want to encourage you not to fear the darkness, 
but to reflect on how you can lean into the light of Christ this Christmas. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Isaiah 9-2 reads that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. John 1, Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Hope has been restored.